Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. I thought I timed it just perfect, but that, it, that last part's longer than I thought it was. It's always... How you doing? Happy Fourth of July! Not yet. Hope you uh, hope you have a great time. Uh, it is uh, Missions Day. Please remember, uh, mission. It's so important that you you help us support missions. What you give is what we're able to give. And so you're, we we help uh, our calling. Uh, we support about ten or fifteen different missions uh, that in the area, some in the area, some around the world. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for remembering Life Community Church through the summertime. Because summertime is, uh, I think we, had, we walked out this morning, I think there's an AC unit out. You know, that's what happens in summertime. Um, it's, just, it's just more expensive time. And a lot of times, you know, we have people gone. They're, uh, they go on vacation and they, uh, they forget about us. Uh, so don't forget about us. Thank you, but you're faithful, amazing, faithful people. Thank you so much. Uh, and I want to talk, those of you that are watching online, uh, thank you. I often give you a hard time. And so we are thankful for all the people that watch online, right? And usually, uh, you know, it's not a huge number. There's maybe eight or 10 people that are actually watching live online, and we're glad that they can. A lot of people, you know, they say they're traveling. I, you know, Wendy Wilcox is, is on vacation. She's She's gone. There's people gone today. There probably a lot of them watching online. I'm glad they can do that. But if if you can be here, if there's if you haven't come for a while and you're watching online, please we you get to see us, but we don't get to see you. And we miss we miss being with you. So so thank you for watching. We do see that the numbers of the week people will watch. Uh, the, so a couple hundred will watch on Facebook. A couple hundred will watch on on YouTube. Probably looking back, say, "What did he say?" I don't think that made any sense. So, uh, <clears throat> but thank you. So today we're going to talk about uh, what about being single. So originally this marriage series was four weeks, but we uh, we've bumped in a couple of added weeks. So uh, we're going to talk today about what does it mean, sex, and singleness. How does that apply? Uh, now, if you're not single, you're thinking, "Well, I don't need this," you know. And you may not. Uh, but just think of all the sermons that all the single people have set through when I've talked about marriage. So, you know, be patient. Right? And I'm, and I'm going to close with some things that's good for everybody. And, you know, you do have friends probably that are not married. And you might need to minister to them. Maybe the Lord will give you something that you can minister to them about. Um, so... Just some information. Secular studies have found that those who abstain from sexual intercourse before marriage have a 31% higher level of satisfaction in marriage than any other group. According to modern research, this is non-Christian non, uh, sources, secular sources, 60 to 70% of today's couples will share a residence before marriage. Couples who move in together have up to two times the odds of divorce as compared with the couples who marry before living together. Now, why do people live together? 
they'll often cite uh, economic reasons. It's, you know, we, it's cheaper to live together. But if you're a believer, you know, why, why are you living together? And a lot of times, because they've seen so many divorces, they're afraid. So they think, we're, let's live together so that we'll, we won't get divorced. But in actuality, living together increases by, two, it doubles your chances that your marriage will end in divorce as to not living together, which doesn't, seems counterintuitive, right? I mean, you think if we live together, we're going to figure everything out. What happens is when you live together, it raises your expectations. And disappointments come from expectations. So if, if you think, okay, if we live together, so now we've been married, we've been living together for three years, we've got everything figured out, right? Because I, I know her quirks and she knows mine, and we've, so we've figured this out. And so when we, get to, when we get married, it'll be all right. But the reality is I've been married 47 years, and I hadn't got all the quirks figured out. It's, 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 we're still working on it, right? Is that not true? So if, if you're not careful, you raise your expectation level that I've got, we're not going to have any problems because we have it all figured out. Let me tell you, if you're not married and you get married, you're going to have some problems. All right? All right. People who cohabit say they're less satisfied and more likely to feel depressed. Those who abstain from sexual intercourse before marriage have the highest rates of fidelity in marriage because practicing purity is not just before you get married. You have to continue to practice purity after you get married. Thank you for that amen. Uh, relationship stability was 22% higher. Relationship satisfaction was 20% higher. Sex was better. And communication was better. That's, that's, both of those are pretty important in marriage. Sex and communication. That's a good amen. Thank you. <laughs> Doctors Les and Leslie Perot in their book, Relationships, where they interviewed thousands of couples, discovered that the introduction of sex in a dating relationship was almost always ushers in the breakup of that relationship. Sexually transmitted diseases, including AIDS, can remain dormant for up to a decade, but be passed on to others during that time. So right now, pornography is having a devastating impact on relationships. A significant number of male porn users and increasingly female porn users experience a diminished tolerance for the difficulties of real relationships, and it shrinks the marriage pool for women. Did that make sense to you? What it says is that relationships are harder than porn. So people choose porn. It's easier than the, the hard work of relationships. So, and being in relationships helps you grow and mature. If you live your life here on a phone, what's happening is that now young couples are, they're actually delaying. Thankfully, we would say, hey, couples aren't having sex before they get married. Well, they are having sex before they get married. They're just having it with themselves. And they're not in relationship. So this is... This is creating, so, so they're, not, they're not preparing for marriage. So actually the marriage pool, there's less people, less and less people getting married and less and less people having children. Pornography diminishes the desire to get married. Increasingly, women are being coerced to accommodate sexual behaviors and their appearance to the image and style of what they see and what is seen in pornography. 
We've made an idol out of sex in our culture. Sex is not a need. It's a desire. You need air is a need. Water is a need. Food is a need. Sex is a desire. Our culture says, if you're not having sex, then you're not a whole person. Something is missing. That's idolatry. We've actually moved sexuality into being like the most important thing, and it's not. So the Bible gives us a revolutionary view of singleness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Now, the Corinthians, Corinth is a Roman city. Uh, the church there is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And you have to understand the Gentiles have no view of, the Jews had a view of purity and sex only in marriage. No sex before marriage and sex in marriage. That's the Old Testament view. That was the view of the Jews. Then within the, uh, then the New Testament church, the church at Corinth, they've got all these Gentiles that have come to faith and they have, they have no concept. I mean, in, in, you know, Corinth, in Rome, the Roman culture, and I've told you this, it was like anything goes. There were, there were, no, they didn't, there were no restrictions whatsoever. So into that culture, then Paul is trying to talk to the, the New Testament church. He's saying, listen, you're believers, and I know you don't know anything about this. You, you're following Christ, but I want you to know there is, there's a godly standard of living that you need to follow. He's saying there's a pattern that I want you, there's a certain way as believers that we need to walk. We don't need to walk the way that they walk out in the world. We're going to walk differently because, because we're followers of Christ. We've been called to a, a level of integrity and purity that the world doesn't. So he's trying to convey that, especially to the Corinthian church that's got some, has some sexual issues in, in their trade. You'll notice nearly all of Paul's letters, he has to deal with some kind of sexual issue because it, they were having to actually teach the New Testament church what's the biblical pattern. So in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I'm using the message, the message of paraphrase. I like the way it says this. He says, Paul speaking to the Corinthians, sometimes I wish everyone were single like me, simpler, a simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone and any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me, but if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. Then in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, verse 27, 28 in the NIV, are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Did you catch what he said? He said that. <laughs> Did you get that? But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So the, the paraphrase of this is, if you get married, it's okay. But you're going to have some trouble. Now, as individuals, for us today, I mean, we're, we're celebrating the 4th of July, the Declaration of Independence. 
that American culture is a very individu individualistic, independent culture. We, we live our lives individually. That's, you know, it's, it's so important. But societies have not always been this way. It's very unusual. Cultures before this were, were honor and family cultures. And you didn't have individualistic honor. You had family honor and success. The individual could only be given prominence or success by your family name or your family honor. So everything was about the family. And, and we talk about, if you look back in history, you see, they didn't get married for romance. And we take all those stories, we, talk, we take all of the old, and we try, to, we try to make them romantic. You know, we take King Arthur's court and we make it romantic. But it wasn't. In those times, it was all about doing the right thing and doing what was best for the family. So you would marry someone, not because you loved them, but because your dad your father or your family told you to marry them. And so it was about family, honor, family promise. So it was all about, I'm trying to gain honor for my family. I'm not, it's not individual success, it's family success. Therefore, you had to be married and you had to have children or in that culture, you, you had no value. You had no future, you had no security, you had no significance. So when Paul says to the New Testament church, hey, it's all right for you to be single. When they read that, they went, Kong. their jaws dropped because it's like this was revolutionary. They'd never, they've never heard this. When Paul says, hey, you, you don't have to be married and you can still serve God and you can still follow God and you can still have significance in a ministry, they were overwhelmed. So, Stanley Horowitz of Duke University says it this way, one of the clearest differences between Christianity and all other religions was Christianity's idea of singleness as a way of life for its followers. Paul and Jesus both say that some of their followers will choose not to be married, and that's a good thing. This was revolutionary in ancient societies. The implications have seldom been appreciated. It breaks the absolute necessity of the family. Now, creating a family was not something we had to do. So Paul, is, who is, if you read his letters, he's given the highest view of sex that anyone's ever had. It's, it's, it's not just an appetite that you're fulfilling. It's not just about procreation. No, Paul says, no, it's, it's sacred. It's beautiful. And it's also a part of the growth and relationship of a married man and a married woman, and it's a picture of the relationship of Christ with his bridegroom. And then he says, it's quite okay for you to live a single life and you can be totally whole without it. He said, you can live a perfectly fulfilled life without ever having sex. And that blows us away. But Jesus did. You can have a perfectly fulfilled life without ever having sex because it's not a need, it's a desire. And Jesus was able to do it. Ernest Becker, who won a Pulitzer Prize for the denial of death, said this, we are the first society who has a widespread belief that there's no ultimate future. We are 
the first society that is secular. It's widespread that when you die, you go to extinction or personal consciousness. Our personal consciousness is temporary. There has never been a society that had such a view of the insignificance of human life, never. As a result, there has never been a society that has put so much emphasis on the finding of your one true love. So what has happened, instead of reaching for God, as our society becomes more secular, we're reaching for a person. We're reaching for a lover who is going to be our soulmate, who's going to fulfill the longings in my soul. If you've been married a while, you realize, yeah, a married person is going to fulfill some of the longings in your soul, but they're also going to create a whole bunch more new ones because they're an imperfect person. You have two imperfect people coming together into an imperfect relationship. And when we look to people to fulfill us and complete us and to make us whole, no one can live up to that. No one can do it. No person can fulfill the longings of your soul. And the result is people become disillusioned. Society says, Without sex and romance, you can't have a fulfilled life. The traditional view says, unless you have a spouse and a family, you're not a legitimate person. And Paul says, eh, not so much. He didn't agree with that. Let me read that first Corinthians verse that we read in the beginning. Sometimes I wish everyone was single like me. A simpler life in many ways, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. But God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might well be the best thing for them as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to a sexually tortured life as a single. Why? What's different? Well, for us as Christians, it's because of our foundations. Our foundations, if they're big, biblical, are set in the eternal, not in the now. See, the culture wants to say, are you happy now? Are you happy in this moment? Are you happy in this instant? Now, right now. You have to be happy and you have to stay happy every moment. If you're not happy, there's something wrong. But it's not reality. But see, with us in Christ, our our hope is not in romantic love. Doesn't mean we're not going to have romantic love. It just means our hope is not in romantic love. Because we found our true love when we found God's eternal love. We found real love. Not feeling love, not temporary love. We found eternal love. You know, nobody's going to love you like God loves you. Your spouse is not even going to love you the way God loves you. Our hope is not just in family. Family's great. It's wonderful to have family. God's for family. He endorses family. But he's also called us to something better. He's calling us into his eternal family. He's giving us a place at his table. He's invited us to be, I mean, that's, that's what this it seems like. And it's incredible as it seems that all of this that exists, that banged into existence with billions and billions and billions of planets and billions of stars, 
that this little blue marble hanging in the nothingness of space and us on it, it seems like that this privileged position that we have is because God was inviting you to his house. (laughs) It's all about that he created us so that he could know us and that we could experience not temporary love, but eternal love. God's inviting us to his eternal family. So how do you know if you have the gift of singleness? Well, for one, it'll come easier to you. Not easy. I didn't say easy. I said easier. If you're miserable single, it's probably not for you. If you, if you have spiritual gifts like the gift of evangelism, you will naturally evangelize. My wife, Tina, has the gift of evangelism. I've seen her lead innumerable people to Christ when, you know, and embarrass the hound dog out of me. But she would say, I need to go talk to that person. I've got to pray for that person. And she would go, and they're like, yeah, before you know it, that person's sitting there crying, and she's talking with them, praying with them. And she has, so it comes naturally. Most of us, when God speaks to us, have you ever had God speak to you? Most of us have had God speak to us. And God's told us, go like, hey, go pray for that person. What do we do? We immediately argue with God. No, I, no, I, I don't think I should. I don't think I should. So we start thinking, well, and we try to rationalize it. That, that's, just, that's just me. Well, why would it be me? That's the last thing that I want to do. That's not me trying to talk me into that. <laughs> you know, that's not me that's arguing with me. That's, that's God directing. And I'm like, no, I don't, maybe I shouldn't do that. You know, that would be inappropriate. And, but yet, so, you know, if you, if you have the gift of evangelism, it's easier for her, but you, it still works. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Like Larry Tereshita is a, is a great teacher. He has the gift of teaching. You, can, you could go to Larry and hand him a Bible and say, hey, in about 10 minutes, I need you to talk about these Bible verses. He'd do it. Just comes easy to him. But guess what? I, I feel like I have the gift of teaching. It still takes work. It took me 15, 20 minutes to come up with today's uh, sermon. Uh, <laughs> I still have to work at it. And if you have the gift of signals, it still takes work. You're still going to have to work at living a godly life and a life that honors Christ as a single person. And that's our goal for all of us. So I want to talk the next few minutes about God's plan for sexual purity for everyone. Single people, married people. So I'm going to bring you married people. You've been sleeping now. Married people, wake up. Talk about sexual purity because we're in the midst of probably one of the greatest struggles there has ever been in the last while because all the all the moors have fallen off the all of the restrictions are gone so to live in, in such a sexually saturated society we have to determine how we're going to live with some level of purity i mean porn is everywhere so, number one, develop conviction. You have to have conviction. Purity requires a personal commitment to the truth. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4 3. 
For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. You cannot change your actions until your convictions align with God's convictions. Or do you, do you agree with that Bible verse that you should abstain from sexual immorality? If you don't agree with that Bible verse, if you don't say, that's God's word, and I believe that's God's word for me, and I want to do what God's word says, you need a conviction about it. A conviction is more than a belief. It's a personal commitment from the heart. I want to live this way. I've determined to live this way as an act of worship to God. It's not your parents' conviction. It's not my conviction put on you. It's not the church's conviction. It's not your friend's conviction. It's yours. Because if it's not yours, you'll never do it. You must own it. This is what I'm committed to. Number two, you need to ponder the consequences and realize this fear can be a legitimate and healthy motivation for delaying gratification. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. When people live outside of God's will, there are consequences. Anything, have you ever heard of an unplanned pregnancy? They happen, right? Now, God is able to redeem those, and we know a lot of people that have had unplanned pregnancies that are, it's wonderful. It wasn't the plan, but God had a plan. God's able to take our mistakes, our sin, and turn it into something good. But there, there are you know, there are consequences. So that's, that is one of the things you would say. You need to consider the consequences. This is a very real consequence. If you have sex before marriage, you could get pregnant. And then if you're not marrying this person, you're going to be responsible for this child the rest of your life. One of the, I, I tried to use as a deterrent for Landon and Logan was, listen, I know you both love cars. Just think of it this way. If you get a girl pregnant, you could have gone out and bought the most expensive car you could ever think of. And you're going to pay for that for the next 20 years. Now, I don't, I don't know how it helped them, but anyway. Uh, that was just an idea I had. Sexually transmitted disease, emotional damage, the loss of reputation, uh, embarrassment. You have to count the cost. Count the cost. Number three, you have to make pre-decisions. You have to decide before you decide. If you want to do something in the, in the moment of passion, you don't try to decide in the moment of passion. Your body will win every time. You have to pre-decide what you're going to do, and that's necessary for sexual purity. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. You can't lie to yourself and say, you know, we can lay here in front of the TV watching Netflix at 2.30 in the morning with no one around and have a time of passionate kissing and it won't lead anywhere. It will. I can look at these websites to see what other people are watching. It won't affect me. It will. I can chat with these people that seem so kind and so attentive and it won't affect me. How do you deal with it? Well, you need to say no to every lustful thought 
within five seconds, quickly, and say it with authority. In the, in the name of Jesus, no. Say, talk to yourself. You know you're talking to yourself all the time. You just don't realize it. Talk to yourself. Based on your conviction, say, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to allow this thought to continue. No, I'm not going to do that. In the name of Jesus. John Owen says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. James said, the brother of Jesus, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Number four, get some help. Asking others to help you keep your commitments to God will break the stronghold of darkness and bring it to the light. We need accountability. And as I said last week, accountability is always voluntary. No one ever can make you accountable. You have to volunteer to be accountable because it's hard to tell the truth. We don't like to tell the truth. When some, we don't want to go into detail. When someone says, how are you doing? How are you doing? What's the answer? I'm fine. I'm fine. That's if you're from Abilene, Texas. I'm fine. But we're not fine. And that doesn't mean you need to tell everybody everything about your life, but you need to find some people that you can be honest with. You need to build some friendships or relationships. And, and you don't do that with the same sex, and you do it with the same sex, unless your struggle is with same-sex attraction. You find someone that you can be accountable to that can be supportive, hopefully that's further down the road, maturity in the Lord-wise, and they can help you. Therefore, confess your sins, James said, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, this doesn't mean you go around confessing your sins to everybody unless you want to sit alone in church the rest of your life. <laughs> what does it mean? It means you, you find, you build relationships. That's why we have men's group. That's why we have small groups within the men's group. You build relationships with other people that can help you stand fast in the Lord. And, <clears throat> and there's something powerful about bringing things into the light. Confession breaks the power of sin. When we bring it to the light, it seems so overwhelming to us. Oh, if they knew what a pervert I was, they wouldn't have had anything to do with me. And you say, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. And you get help and you get encouragement and you can have somebody to pray with you about it. So you need accountability. You get help. Number five, get on the offensive. You have to attack the promises of sin with the promises of Christ. It's hard, to, it's hard to combat sin with do better, try harder. It, it doesn't work. You always end up losing. You have to combat sin by actually changing your mind, renewing your mind, being transformed in your mind. So you have to get on the offensive. You have to change the way you think because we're using sin to meet a need that God wants to meet in Christ. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory in the inheritance in the saints. So he wants us to find our satisfaction in Christ. 
So we're created to treasure Christ in our hearts more than we crave food, more than we crave sugar, more than we crave sex. See, what happens, we're trying to fill the emptiness with our lives with things that cannot fill the emptiness. What can fill the emptiness? Jesus, because that's the shape of the emptiness. So we need to understand who we are in Christ. Paul says, I'm praying for you that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so you'll know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He said, I want you to get this. I want you to understand who you are. I want you to understand what God's called you to, the, the, your calling, your inheritance, what, what, you're, what you're getting. Your inheritance is not right now here. Your inheritance is in heaven, but it's starting now. So he said, so we go on the offensive so that we realize, man, sometimes we can think something that's so important when we get it in the light of day, it just wasn't that big a deal. Have you ever done that? Do you ever just like obsess on something and realize, oh gosh, I needed to trust Christ with that. The Lord wants us to walk in purity. It's, if we do, it's world changing for us because the world needs models of marriages that, have, that are pure and living for Christ. He doesn't want you bound by pornography. God doesn't want you in bondage to that. It's, it's destructive. It's a tool of the enemy to bring and separate you from the life of God, the joy of God that he wants to bring into your life. Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to live lives that glorify you, that honor you. We want to be a witness to a changed life. We know that a life lived to your glory is better than a thousand words. We can say a thousand things to a thousand people about what we think is good for them to do, but we know that if they can see us doing it, if they can see us living a life that honors Christ, it is a witness that is written in indelible ink in their lives, and you can, you can use it, Lord, to draw people to the kingdom. So, Lord, that's our prayer today. Use us for your glory. Use us for your purpose. Use us for your will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.